morning. How is everybody? We're uh, finishing up, as Ryan said, we're finishing up our summer series. We've been looking all summer at the questions that Jesus asks. And if you're getting tired of this, just be glad that we boiled it down to nine, because there are 300 questions throughout the four Gospels that Jesus asks. So we could have made this a six-year sermon series, and instead we've boiled it down to the nine big questions, or or, or nine big ones, I guess, that, that really cause us to wrestle with who he is and who we are. And the question that we're looking at this morning is another zinger. The question is, why are you so afraid? And the question has an obvious answer. They're afraid because they think they're going to drown. Well, let me give you a little background. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. It gets warm down there. Just to the north of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Lebanon. Mount Lebanon is 9,000 feet high. It gets cold up there. So you have warm air rising, meeting cold air going down, and it produces some monster storms some monster storms on the Sea of Galilee. And if you're an experienced fisherman or a sailor, then you're kind of used to this. You're probably a bit jaded. You've seen a lot of these storms on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus' disciples, some of them were experienced fishermen. A lot of them were experienced sailors. So they are used to storms on the Sea of Galilee. And for them to be afraid for their lives here, for them to be afraid of their lives here, means that this is one heck of a storm. This is one heck of a storm. And Jesus, Jesus talks to it like it's a little child. He rebukes the wind and the waves, and then he asks this question. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Why are we afraid? We're afraid because we thought we were going to die, and you were asleep. We were afraid because we thought we were going to die, and you were asleep. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and then, and then he turns around and he rebukes them for being afraid. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's rebuking his disciples for being afraid. And the only way to see that, the only way to observe what Jesus is doing is that he, 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 apparently he doesn't want us to be afraid. Apparently Jesus doesn't want us to be afraid. I mean, there are some leaders who secure their leadership position by making their subjects, by making them be in constant fear. That's not what Jesus does. I mean, you can all think of political leaders who've done this, political leaders who have used fear very effectively to keep people in line, to build their uh, authority and their, and their superiority. Football coaches are famous for this kind of leadership. Military leaders are famous for leading from a premise of fear. But Jesus, if you study the leadership characteristics of Jesus, one of the the great things about him as a leader is that he doesn't want us to be afraid. In fact, all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, he commands us not to be afraid. There's verses all throughout the Bible telling us not to be afraid. You, You probably know a lot of these verses. These are some of the verses that are most likely to be cross stitched. I've been working pretty hard this past week on my cross-stitch. I think we can show some of these. Uh, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. That's Deuteronomy 31.6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? That's Psalm 27.1. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. This one, that's Isaiah 41.10. This one, I thought it really sort of made sense to kind of have a Mary had a little lamb scene there. That just seemed to really fit. And uh, before we put the next one up, I just want to say this next one, this next one I'm really proud of. I worked really hard on this next one. This is Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go just seems to really make sense with kind of a honeybee theme. I think, oh, do we have one more? 
Oh, oops, that's not scripture. <laughs> that's just another one of these cross stitches that I've been working on this week. This is something I do in my spare time. You know, I, I make these cross stitches and then I sell them on Etsy. It's just something I do, something I do when I have free time, when, when, you know, when I'm not working my full-time job at a bank and when I'm not working Ryan's full-time job at a church. <laughs> I do these cross stitches and I'm going to make some good money off of this. Well, Jesus doesn't want us to be afraid. Jesus doesn't want us to be afraid. Jesus, at one point in Matthew 6, he says, Look at the lilies of the field. Uh, Consider the birds of the air. If I take care of them, how much more will I take care of you? Uh, Put the kingdom of heaven first, he says. Put the kingdom of heaven first. And then you don't need to be afraid of anything. You don't need to be afraid of anything at all. And I don't know. If you're like me, that sounds enticingly hopeful. But most of the time, most of the time it just feels hopelessly patronizing. I mean, God, how can you tell me not to be afraid? Don't you know what I'm in the middle of? Don't you see this storm? Don't you care, God, if I drowned? It's the same question the disciples ask Jesus here in this story. And that's a question we're all very familiar with. That's a question we've all asked Jesus at one point in our lives. And maybe you're asking him that question right now. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm right now. But, but you know, even if you're not... You know, when you, when you lie in bed at night, there's just an awful lot to be afraid of. There's an awful lot to keep us awake at night. Maybe you're scared of a, of a job you might lose or a career that just might not take off the way you want it to. Maybe you're afraid of a, of a bonus you might not get. Maybe you're scared that a relationship might unravel. Maybe you're afraid of a child who might get into trouble or a health condition that might develop or that might worsen. Maybe you're afraid of a bad decision you might make. Life is is full, is full of things to be afraid of. Pain, disappointment, death, all kinds of loneliness, all kinds of things that we're afraid of. And then there's the the macro stuff, the big stuff. Your fear of of disaster, of of maybe a man-made disaster or a natural disaster. You know, the the one thing, we read about something like the terrible earthquake that happened in Italy this past week, and the the first reaction most of us have, we don't like to admit this, but the first reaction most of us have isn't concern for those people affected, but it's, I wonder if that could happen here. I hope that doesn't happen here. We're such self-absorbed scaredy cats. We are so afraid. Uh, According to social scientists, the level of fear among among the American public is the highest it's been since they started tracking it. The level of fear today is the highest it's been in this country since they've been tracking it. Uh, According to one university study study done last year, these are some of the things that top the list of what we're most afraid of. Crime and terrorism, identity theft, running out of money, a health pandemic, reptiles, natural disaster, heights, public speaking, and germs. Life, Life is scary. There's a lot to be afraid of down here. And yet Jesus, Jesus says, all that stuff, I don't want you to be afraid of any of that. I don't want you to be afraid of any of that. He commands us not to be afraid. He commands us not to be afraid. And maybe you're like me. I mean, I tend to be a bit of a worrier. I tend to kind of get myself worked up about stuff. And I kind of go to God and I say, God, why does it matter so much? I mean, this is how I process this. Just let me be afraid. I'm not hurting anybody. Let me be afraid. And God says, well... Actually, you are hurting someone. Specifically, you're hurting yourself. I mean, for one thing, there's the health side of it. According to one medical study, living with perpetual fear negatively impacts our mental health 
our heart health, our blood pressure, our memory, our energy level, and, and our sex drive. Oh, man. I mean, those side effects sound a lot scarier than the things I'm afraid of. But Jesus has something more important in mind when he tells us not to be afraid. He's not just focused on our health. He's focused on our eternal destiny. He's focused on our eternal destiny. And to Jesus, our fear says something fundamental about our faith or lack thereof. Jesus sees our fear and he sees something wrong with our faith. And for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at our fear and try to see it the way Jesus sees it. Try to see our fear through his eyes. We're going to look at three questions about our fear. First, why are we afraid? Why are we afraid? Second, what are we really afraid of? What are we really afraid of? And last, what should we fear? Why are we afraid? What are we afraid of? And last, what should we fear? First, why are we afraid? Why are you so afraid? That's the question Jesus asks here. That's the question he asks his disciples here. Why are you afraid? It's interesting to know he's not saying, what are you afraid of? He wants to go deeper than that. He's saying, why has this storm caused you to be so afraid? What's going on in your heart? What's going on with your foundation that's caused you to be so afraid of this storm? He's going deeper than the event, because it is deeper than the event. Notice the one thing all those cross-stitch verses have in common. They all have one thing in common, which is that they're all two-part statements. They're all saying, God is with you, therefore you don't need to be afraid. Or, do not fear, because the Lord goes with you. They're all two-part statements. They're all saying, God is with us, therefore we don't need to be afraid. And that means, inherently, if we are afraid of something, we either don't believe that God is with us, Or, maybe we believe he's with us, but that he's just not as trustworthy as he says he is. That's why Jesus gets irritable here. Jesus doesn't get irritable very often, but he gets irritable with his disciples here. Because he takes this personally. He takes it personally when we're afraid, because it says something fundamental about our faith. Notice the question he follows up with, do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? When we're afraid of something, it means we don't have enough faith. Or, said differently, we just don't know him well enough. If we're afraid of something, that means we don't know Jesus well enough. That's what Jesus is saying here. Notice that little word he uses, still. You still have no faith. Jesus is saying, still, by now, by now you should know me better. We've been spending a lot of time together, and by now you should know me. You should know that I love you. I care about you. I have your best interest in mind. I love you. You should know that by now. And, by the way, the fact that I was asleep in this storm, that should tell you something. If you really knew me, you would take comfort in the fact that I was asleep in this storm. Because if I can sleep through this storm, if I can rest through this storm, so can you. If I can be at peace in this storm, you can relax also. Uh, Sarah and I have three kids. Uh, We have three kids, which means we've been through the the birthing process three times. And, you know, the, the birthing process never gets routine. I mean, I mean, that, that, that is a storm, (laughs) Uh, But it does get a little easier, at least for me, knowing what to expect on the subsequent times. And I remember uh, about eight and a half years ago, uh, Sarah was giving birth for the first time. We were were living in Washington, D.C. at the time, and we were at Arlington Hospital in Virginia. And uh, we had gone in late that night, and we were there all night, and it was the middle of the night, and, you know, she was in the room, and I was there with her, and She's hooked up to all the machines and stuff, and and I'm watching the contractions as the night progressed. I'm watching the contractions gradually get closer and closer together. And it gets to a point where the contractions seem like they're pretty close together, and and the nurses are nowhere to be found, and the doctor is nowhere to be found, and I'm starting to get a little panicked. 
I mean, I'm starting to wonder, maybe I'm going to have to deliver this baby. You know, it, it just seems like, it seems like the baby's getting ready to, 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 to fire out. And, and, and where is somebody? We need somebody to help us with this. And so, so I rush out into the, into the main area where kind of the, you know, the nurses are stationed. And, and they're all there. And there's five or six of them. And they're all just kind of hanging out. And they've, they've got their computers, but they're all just kind of, there's a group of them talking. Uh, one of them was eating a banana and drinking some coffee. One of them was reading a magazine. They're all, they're all just kind of there hanging out. And I go up with, with kind of a similar attitude to what the disciples have here. You, you know, don't you care that my wife is about to give birth? I mean, this is your job to take care of us. This is your job to take care of us. And you're, you're essentially asleep on the job. And they're, they're totally calm. They're totally calm. They kind of glance down at their equipment that's monitoring her, and they, they say, well, she's got a, a while to go, and it'd be best if she can rest, and we were trying to give her some space to rest, so if she needs something, we're happy to go in there, but, you know, if not, we'll come in when something's really about to happen. They're totally calm, and the fact that they were calm helped calm me down. They know a lot more about this situation than I do. They know a lot more. They, 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 they're, I mean, I don't know them personally, but they're professionals. They do this every day. And if they can be calm through this storm, then I can be calm too. That's what Jesus is saying here. If I can rest through this storm, I love you. I know more about this situation than you do. And if I can rest through this storm, you can relax also. The, the, the lesson of this story isn't that if you're going through a storm, it's just a matter of waking up Jesus so that he can help you. The lesson of this story is that Jesus is with you already. He's with you already. And if Jesus can relax through whatever storm you're going through, you can relax also. With Jesus by your side, if you really know Jesus, you will be a rock. A rock through whatever storm comes at you in life. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells this parable of two men who build houses. One builds a house on a rock, and one builds a house on sand. And then the storm comes. That means the, the, the problems of life come. And the house that's on the strong foundation stays up, and the house that's on the sand foundation collapses. Jesus is saying your ability to weather a storm, your ability to weather something scary depends all about where your foundation is. If your foundation is your career, then if you have a problem at work, it will destroy you. You won't be able to weather it. Or or if you love somebody and and that person, your love for that person is your foundation, then if if there's a storm in that relationship, it will destroy you. You won't be able to survive it. But, But if your foundation is Jesus... If your foundation is Jesus, if you really know Jesus, then you will be a rock. You will be a rock in whatever storm life throws at you. You'll be a total rock. My dad was a rock. My dad was steady and constant in every aspect of his life. In his intellect, in his emotion, in his faith. Every aspect of his life, he was steady and constant. He was a scientist. He was a Ph.D. chemist. He wore a lab coat to work. He worked at one of the large pharmaceutical companies. He uh, became a Christian when he was in college. And when he became a Christian, he approached his faith like a scientist. He devoured the Bible like it was a scientific text. He wanted to understand every aspect of the Bible. And after years of studying it, he pretty much did. He, yeah, it was evident to anybody who knew him that he, he not only loved Jesus, he not only loved Jesus, but he really knew Jesus. He just knew him. He knew his character. He knew it personally. It was personal with my dad. And that knowing Jesus made him a rock when the storms came in his life. When my dad was in his mid-50s, he was diagnosed with a, with a terrible form of cancer called multiple myeloma. It's a blood cancer that, that eats away your bone marrow. 
so that eventually your bones all weaken and fracture. By the end of his life, he had, he had broken legs, his spine was broken all up and down, his, his pelvis, his shoulders, his ribs, his body, his bones were just giving out. He, he was always in far more pain than he ever let on. And when he was 60 years old, it was about th- three years ago this fall, he was 60 years old, he's, he's laying in a hospice bed. You know, his, his colleagues were enjoying the pinnacle years of their career, and, and here he is, his friends are thinking about retirement, and here he is lying in a hospice bed, never bitter, never angry, never scared, never scared. And I remember asking him at one point, you know, you know if this goes the way it looks like it's going to go, how do you feel? Are you scared? Are you, are you afraid of dying? And he said, no. He said, I'm not afraid of dying at all. He said, I do get a little bothered thinking about what this will mean for mom and for you kids. If you guys didn't know my dad, but for him to say bothered, I mean, that was about as worked up as you could, he could possibly get. So for any of us, bothered for him is like totally freaking out for any of us. But he said, I do get a little bothered thinking about what this will mean for mom and for you kids. And then, then he said, but when I get bothered, he said, I find it's best to just close my eyes and tell Jesus who he is. Jesus, you're loving you're wise, you're all-powerful, you know me, you know my family, and you will be there. Whatever happens, you will be there. My dad knew Jesus, and that made him a rock. There's some pretty heavy storms. He was a provider. I mean, he's the ultimate provider, and for him to leave his family far too early, far earlier than he wanted to, that's scary. That'd be pretty scary for me. But it made him a rock, because he knew Jesus. So why are we afraid? We've said the reason we're afraid is because we don't know Jesus well enough. And if you do know Jesus, if you do really know him, you can be calm through any storm. You can be a rock through any storm. Secondly, what are we really afraid of? What is it? What is it that we're really afraid of? Notice something interesting that happens in this story. When Jesus calms the storm, when Jesus calms the storm, the disciples don't go from being afraid to being relieved. When Jesus calms the storm, they go from being afraid to being terrified. They're afraid when they're in the presence of the storm's power. And then, then when they see the power of Jesus that they're in the presence of, they're suddenly terrified. They're terrified. It shows that Jesus, sometimes his solution to your problems is even scarier than the problem itself was. And when they see his power, they're just terrified. I mean, look at the power that Jesus has here. This is a terrible hurricane, and Jesus talks to it. He talks to it like an impatient parent might talk to a child. Sit down and be quiet. This hurricane obeys. Immediately the sea is calm like glass. It's immediately calm like glass. And notice there's just, there's no effort here on Jesus's part. There's no struggle at all. He doesn't, he he doesn't even have to call on some higher power. He doesn't say, now everyone behold the power of God. No, he just says, sit down and be quiet to this hurricane. And when the disciples see this, they know they're in the presence of divine power. This Jesus, who's their best friend, now he's God. He's God. And you know what happens? When you're in the presence of God, you get scared. Why? Well, because we like to play God. We like to play God. We like to pretend that we're in control. We like to pretend that we know what's best for ourselves, that we know right and wrong, that we know what's best for the world. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we're playing God, and all of a sudden, the real God shows up, and we get pretty scared. Have you ever, have you ever tried impersonating a police officer? I hope not. I think that's illegal. <laughs> But if you tried it, if you dress up like a police officer, you can go out there and, and you'll be pretty confident for a while. I mean, you can just, you can walk into the street and start directing traffic. You can start telling people what to do. You'll be pretty confident for a while. 
but then, then what happens if a, if a real police officer starts walking toward you? If a real police officer starts walking toward you, you start to get pretty nervous. You start to get pretty nervous because you're about to be exposed. You're about to be exposed for the fraud that you are, and you're going to have to relinquish this power, this control that you enjoyed so much. That's a little bit of what the disciples are experiencing here. God shows up, God shows up, and all of a sudden, they know that they're going to have to give up control. And you know what? Deep down, that's the thing we're all most afraid of. Deep down, the thing we really are afraid of is giving up control. None of us like being out of control. I've met a lot of people who say they're scared of flying. I've never met anyone who says they're scared of driving. Even though you're statistically much more likely to get hurt driving a car, when you're driving a car, you're, you're in control. At least you think you are. When you're flying, you're definitely not in control. And that's the same with Jesus. When you're with Jesus, when you surrender to Jesus, you are not in control. You're not in control. And that's scary. It's scary to follow Jesus. But you know what? The only thing scarier is not to. The only thing scarier than giving up control to Jesus is not giving up control to Jesus. You may remember this sports show. It was called ABC's Wide World of Sports. It was on every Saturday for, for more than three decades. It ended in the late 90s, I think, maybe early 2000s. And it opened with this montage of sports scenes. And the voiceover would say, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And one of the clips they played every week If you've seen it, you'll remember it because it's this haunting image. It's this ski jumper who's going down the ski jump, and about two-thirds of the way down the ski jump, he goes off the side of the ski jump and has this terrible wipeout. I mean, he's flipping head over heels. He goes through a catch fence at one point. It looks looks awful. And you watch it, and you think, this poor guy, I mean, he, he must have died. You can't imagine that he lived through this. And then they play this every week, this poor guy. They play this every week. And I remember it just, I, I watched and you know, this image just stuck with me. And I looked this guy up once a few years ago. I looked this guy up once. He didn't die. His name is Vinko Borgataj. He's a Slovenian ski jumper. And he did a, I think it's a 60-minute segment where he does this interview. And his story is that he actually decided to go off the side of the ski jump. He said the weather conditions that day, it had been snowing and it was kind of a freezing snow. And the ski jump had gotten too icy. It had gotten too fast. And he says that if he had gone off the ramp like he was supposed to, he would have landed too far beyond the safety zone and he would have died. So he elected, he decided to go off this ski jump to lose total control, go through this terrible wipeout to prevent himself from dying. And that's just, that's such a great analogy for what it's like to choose Jesus. Your your, your life, your life is going in one direction and it's going pretty fast and it seems okay. And then all of a sudden you realize, man, if I keep going this way, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And you have to decide to divert yourself off of that path and surrender all control to Jesus. And man, that's going to be scary. You might have a big wipeout, but the only thing scarier than that is not having that wipeout. The only thing scarier than that is actually going off the ski jump and landing beyond the safety zone. That's what we're, that's what we're, we're afraid of deep down. So we've said, why are we afraid? We're, we're afraid because we just don't know Jesus well enough. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of giving up control. And lastly, and I'll close with this, what should we be afraid of? What should we be afraid of? The Bible talks about two kinds of fear. Two kinds of fear. Good fear and bad fear. Bad fear is what we've been talking about. Bad fear is is a self-absorbed fear. It's all about us getting hurt. It's all about us giving up control. It's a self-absorbed fear. But there's also a good fear that the Bible talks about. A a good fear that, that leads to joy. A good fear that leads to wisdom. 
You, you probably know this line. It's repeated all throughout the book of Proverbs and all throughout the book of Psalms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a stunning statement. The beginning of wisdom is when you fear God. That means you can't have a little bit of wisdom unless, if you don't fear God. You can't have any wisdom if you don't fear God. It's not like you can have wisdom up to a certain point and then you need the fear of God to move you to the next level of wisdom. You just can't have wisdom at all. You can't have any wisdom at all unless you fear God. Fear God. Well, what, what in the world does that mean? How do I fear God? Well, To be clear, first of all, the fear of God is not fearing him as the policeman. It's not fearing him as a policeman who's going to show up and expose you for the fraud. That's that's one way to fear God, but that's still a self-absorbed fear. That's still a fear of us getting caught. That's still all about us. The fear of God, the fear of God that leads to wisdom and leads to joy, is a different kind of fear. It's an inward condition, a holy inward fear that's that's awe and recognition of Jesus and, and God, of all that he's done for us. It's an inward awe and appreciation of this majestic, powerful, glorious God. I'll try to give you one quick example. There's a, there's a show, I think it's still on PBS, called Antique Roadshow. The premise is that people bring in something from around their house and find out if it's worth anything. Most of the time, people bring something in and it's not worth anything at all. Bring it, go, go home. But once in a while, you, there'll be an episode where somebody brings something in and, it, and, and they find out they're, they're totally surprised. This thing that was sitting around your house, all of a sudden, it's incredibly valuable. There was an episode a few years ago, 2011, where a guy brings in a set of cups, a set of cups, and he finds out that this set of cups is worth between a million and a million and a half dollars. He had no idea. All of a sudden, this set of cups, you know, before he just thought it was a normal set of cups. It was nothing special. Now, all of a sudden, he's incredibly scared of those cups. He's freaked out. But it's a good joy. It's a good joy. He doesn't want to do anything that's going to hurt those cups. He doesn't want to do anything that's going to chip those cups or scratch those cups. He's totally afraid. It's a dread of those cups. But it's a different kind of fear. It's not a fear of him getting hurt. It's a fear of him causing hurt. The fear of him causing hurt. That's what the good fear of God is. It's not us getting hurt that we're afraid of. It's a fear of us misusing God, of us doing something to, to, to hurt him. And that's a little bit of what the disciples experience here. They're calling out to Jesus, help us, save us. And when he calms the sea and it obeys, they realize they're in the presence of someone wild. Jesus had been their best friend and now, now he's not just a friend anymore. He's someone wild. He's someone they don't want to mess with. This Jesus who's so loving and so wise, now he's also so powerful and a little bit scary. You don't want to mess with him. He's scary, but, but that's, a, that's a good fear. That's a good fear. Uh, John was one of Jesus' best friends. Kind of Peter, James, and John who were Jesus' best friends. And John was one of his best friends in that inner circle. John was probably on the boat with Jesus that day. He probably experienced this sudden awe, this sudden fear of his best friend Jesus. And then at the very end of John's life, John experiences that fear and awe to the extreme.